O Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. From the book of the prophet Jeremiah, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. In the 19th chapter of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is commanded by the Lord to buy a brand new earthenware flask and bring the elders of the people and of the priests out to the potsherd gate in the city of Jerusalem. We do not know whether it's called the potsherd gate because of what happens next or because of some other reason, like it's where people just throw pots that are old and used. But Jeremiah is told by the Lord to say to them outside this gate, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I am bringing such disaster upon this place that the ears of everyone who hears it were in gods. They had burnt their sons in high places, and in doing so they had brought the wrath of God upon themselves. Not only that, but they had taken justice from the poor. Their worship had gone rotten, murderous in fact, and the end result is that the city of Jerusalem would become a horror, a thing to be hissed at. Jeremiah is even commanded by the Lord to foretell of acts of cannibalism among the people, all because of this wrathful judgment of the Lord. And then Jeremiah is told to throw the earthenware flask to the ground in the sight of those with him and say, thus says the Lord of hosts, so will I break this people and this city as one breaks a potter's vessel so that it can never be mended. And then he is commanded to prophesy of the coming disaster in the very courts of the temple, an indictment against the stiff necks of the people. As you can imagine, this was a terribly popular message. No, I'm kidding. It was a terribly unpopular message. The cost of this prophecy, of this prophecy is that Pasher, the high priest, not only beat Jeremiah severely, but put him in the stocks at the Benjamin gate for the night. And there in the stocks is where our reading picks up from today. Jeremiah would not be silenced and he speaks, the Lord does not call your name Pashur, but terror on every side. For thus says the Lord, behold, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends. They shall fall by the sword of their enemies while you look on. And I will give all Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon. He shall carry them captive to Babylon and shall strike them down with the sword. Moreover, I will give all the wealth of the city, all its gains, all its prized belongings, and all the treasures of the kings of Judah into the hand of their enemies, who shall plunder them and seize them and carry them to Babylon. And you, Pasher, and all who dwell in your house shall go into captivity. To Babylon you shall go, and there you shall die." And there you shall be buried, you and all your friends to whom you have prophesied falsely. Well, so much for Jewish exceptionalism. So much for being God's chosen people. So much for being a light to the nations. The people had offered the flesh of their sons and daughters to Moloch. They had gone to the numerous high places around the city to worship foreign gods. Just imagine what you would feel if you came into this church this morning and saw an eight-foot-high phallic symbol in the aisle. That would not be far off 
from what the people saw when they would come into the temple. A murderous, an apostate nation cannot escape God's judgment. A nation that has forsaken its high calling will go from being a nation of promise to being a nation destroyed and in exile in short order. The people here have degraded themselves in the sight of the God who has chosen them. They have decided to walk apart from the Lord their God, and the result is clear. Destruction and an exile await them. Every great nation will fall apart from God, and the prophets will stand in the gates and denounce them. They will speak of a coming destruction. They will warn, and their warnings will go unheeded. Well, that pretty much brings us up to speed with where Jeremiah is at this very moment. There in the stocks, tied up outside the gate. And now we get something of his inner voice speaking as he prays to the Lord. Just imagine him there in the stocks. It's almost like he's just there with his head probably stuck in something. And he says, oh Lord, you have deceived me. And I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. And yet, Jeremiah prays for his vindication, and the vindication of the poor and the needy, so maligned and abused by the reigning powers of their day. Jeremiah calls upon them to sing to the Lord and praise the Lord, Jeremiah does not relent. These are a people who, by the way, have been told by the powers that be, you must sacrifice your children to these foreign gods. You must do this. You must do that. There are injustices in this city so high as to make us horrified. Jesus today in the Gospel reading calls His disciples to a similar kind of of perseverance in speaking when dragged before governors and kings. They are to speak in the Spirit just as the prophets had before them. And there is no doubt that they will be hated. There is no doubt that they will be persecuted. Their own brothers will condemn them. Their parents and children will denounce them and they will be put to death. There's my Father's Day message for today. Your own father might sell you out and have you killed before murderers and before governors and kings. Happy Father's Day. What is shown here? That the disciple is not above the master. The master offers himself to the death of the cross for the salvation of the world. The disciples are never to be above this. They will be maligned. They will be martyred. Many of them will be crucified just as their Lord was. Well, I've chosen to preach on these verses this morning because the church often loses her vocation as a people in whom the Word of God dwells richly by the inworking of the Holy Spirit. We lose our identity as a people who have been deceived into believing what the world around us does not into saying what the world around us does not. And we lose our identity as a people with something prophetic to say in the midst of an apostate nation when we begin to simply parrot the words of those around us. 
We hesitate even to say that our nation is, in fact, apostate. We forget that we are not only to speak the truth to power, but to proclaim good news to the poor, the captive, and the destitute. My aim this morning is to remind you of this calling, as well as to remind you that no nation has ever abandoned faithfulness to the Lord and survived. You and I live in a nation that has come under the judgment of God. That we're wearing masks this morning is a mark of judgment. We have slaughtered the innocent, especially the unborn. We have imprisoned and abused the poor. We have slaughtered in war. We've committed great atrocities. We have abandoned the way of the Lord. In no time in human history has any nation seemed so obsessed with doing what is right and just and yet so brazenly abandoned any proven, time-tested, or divinely revealed way of achieving it. And thus the church has often let the culture blaze a trail when it comes to social issues or in fact any issue of the day. And I have to say, that's pathetic. Worse, the church has stood by as the cult of the age has dictated the acceptable offerings just as the priests and elders of Jerusalem did in Jeremiah's day. They have told us what kind of confessions must be made, what kind of sacrifices must be offered, what kind of idols must be torn down, even what kind of words must be used in the public square. What I want you to see is that the prophet Jeremiah is here correcting a society that has embraced and embraced openly apostasy. It is evident in the worship, so worship that they offer, the way they treat their neighbor, and the way that they treat their own families, which is murderously. They murder their own children for the sake of some kind of popular piety. And they become liable to the Lord's righteous judgment. They, as God's chosen people, bear judgment first. Today, on two sides of the political spectrum, we have those who are falling under judgment in their words and actions. One can adequately be described as the secular cult of wokeness. The other, the secular cult of American exceptionalism. Our political debate seems, at least in part, to be characterized as a battle between the rule of law and the rule of civil rights and justice. One side seems to say you can have one but not the other, and the other says you can have the other but not the one. Let me be clear. The Christian is to believe firmly that one cannot truly be free and a society cannot truly be just without both. If there is injustice in the society, you can't be free. And if there are people who are not free within the society, there can be no justice. The law must be upheld and justice must be given. Our nation was founded upon a solid foundation of justice and law. It was furthered by ideas enshrined in constitutional amendments. And we are bound by the rules of due process and equal protection under the law. And you and I should be horrified when such fundamental convictions are dispensed with. There could be no defending them. Not at all. Neither as Christians or as Americans. 
They are offenses against justice and equity. And many of those offenses are deeply, in history and in practice, tainted by racism and hatred. And there is no reason for the church or her member Christians to take cues from either the right or from the left. We have more than enough Scripture to rule our engagement in this political divide. More than enough of the Word of God to well up in us to the point where we should feel that we've been deceived, as some translations put it of Jeremiah's words, Lord, you have seduced me, and I have been seduced. As I said before, every nation on the planet stands liable to God's judgment. Every nation is made up of sinners. And judgment begins, as it always must, with the household of God, as the Apostle Peter reminds us. Peter knew this truth that judgment begins with the household of God because he was a student of the Scriptures and, more importantly, a disciple of Jesus Christ. In Scripture, God's chosen people are judged first. Peter had heard every discourse between the Pharisees and the scribes with Jesus. He knew those words of warning and judgment. Remember those words, woe to you scribes and Pharisees. What does Jesus call them? Hypocrites. Well, why? Because they bind burdens too heavy to bear on the backs of those who listen to them. They, they will go out of their way to make one convert, but will not lift a finger themselves. He knew these words of warning and judgment. And it is not a mistake, therefore, that from the very earliest times, the church has taken issues of orthodoxy and issues of justice seriously at the same time and with a singular voice. We have that heritage before us today, speaking in our ears. Let us not run pathetically to secular renderings of justice, which end up being weak and often far worse atheistic at the expense of orthodoxy. And at the same time, let us run to law and or let us not run to law and order or the exaltation of our nation, the expectation of this earthly kingdom at the expense of right practice and right worship at the expense of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Orthodoxy and true Christian orthodoxy at that demands both right worship and right action. We Anglicans have always believed that one begets the other and likewise. I mean, there's that old Latin phrase from Prosper of Aquitaine that I love so much, lexorandi, lex credendi. He's saying something very clear here. The law of prayer establishes the law of believing. What we pray in the liturgy is to carry into how we believe and how we pray in our lives. Orthodoxy is not simply to believe the right things, but to give right glory to God in both what we believe and in how we worship. So where to begin, you might ask? What should be done? The first thing I want to say is precisely what Jeremiah says, especially when the weight of the divine word is so heavy, when he is in chains for these words of judgment, when he's locked up outside the gate, when he feels that he's been deceived, when the word of the Lord becomes loathsome to him because of the position it puts him in. 
he says this, Sing to the Lord. Praise the Lord. For He has delivered the needy, the life of the needy from the hand of evildoers. Jeremiah believed that judgment was coming upon the priests and elders of Jerusalem because they had perverted right worship and they had profaned the cause of justice in the city. The poor were abused and the worship of God turned over. Friends, let me be clear, the two go together. This has gone back in history for time and time again. Countless Christian preachers have stood before congregations and said what I'm about to say to you. If we presume to be here this morning in worship while neglecting the poor, we've gone astray. If we presume to be here in worship to the Lord this morning and we are quite happy to let injustices go forward, then we've gone astray. Similarly, if we seek to care for the poor but neglect worship and obedience to the Lord, we have gone astray. Christian social action always comes out of the very heart of the church's Eucharistic life with the Lord Jesus who feeds Himself to us, who allows us to feast upon His Word, who heaps abundant grace upon us for the work of the kingdom, that the Word of God may dwell in you and I richly. Not just for the deliverance of ourselves, but for the deliverance of all who have been poor in any way whatsoever. This morning, I would urge you to look to St. Francis, to look to Mother Teresa, look to Oscar Romero, look even to our own Anglican Clapham sect, people like William Wilberforce. These are people who literally brought down slavery in the British Empire. All of these drew upon the riches of grace in communion with God in Christ, allowing the Holy Spirit to speak through them. They served the poor and fought for justice in law, not because of their own altruism, but because the gospel of the kingdom demands it. It demands that we speak. It demands that we say what the Word of God has put in us. The second thing that I want to say this morning is a bit of a preview and that is to say that it is my intent in the coming months to open a discussion in, the coming, in these coming months that are before us about what the gospel has to say about racial, economic, and civil justice. We're going to have hard conversations in this parish, but we're going to have them as Christians, as a community bound together in the name of Jesus to proclaim his word and gospel without becoming less of what he has made us. I believe we must do this precisely because God's judgment is upon us as the household of God. And that that judgment will begin with us. We live in a time in which political solutions have utterly failed. We live in a time in which partisanship has utterly failed. I mean, I don't know about you, but I am not looking forward to this election cycle. It's going to start at some point. I don't know when it will start. I think it started yesterday in Tulsa. It was awful to watch. But we cannot lose heart. We cannot lose heart. We stand in the gate with the Word of the Lord burning within us. We throw down the earthenware flasks and proclaim Jesus is Lord. 
so that all may hear that good news and join with us in proclaiming it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.